Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael here with you another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Ian Graham, who has been farming as a whole new career and lifestyle since 2007, a permaculture student since 2000, when he retired from the business world at age 47. A climate emergency advocate since 2014, he calls himself a farmer, uh, post-doomer, boomer, downwardly mobile, neo-peasant cognizant. I think that's how you put it, right, Ian? Pretty good. (laughs) So Old 99, which is the name of your farm, is a 29-acre permaculture demonstration site and livestock-based mixed farm five minutes from the city lights of Hamilton, Ontario. They see themselves as getting ready for the climate emergency by growing local food and farmers, teaching about food security, self-reliance, soil fertility, and ecosystem stewardship. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, greetings. Nice to be here. So talk to us, Hamilton, Ontario. Remind us where that is again. That's on the west end of uh, Lake Ontario. Okay. You know, just around the corner from Buffalo. So it's a zone 6A and um, continental humid temperate climate. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I know where that is then. So what got you, you know, 2000, what happened in 2000 that got you interested in permaculture? Probably I met somebody interesting, but that's back in the misty distance of time. I, uh, but I got online probably and uh, took, took, took my first permaculture design course. Mm-hmm. At that time, I was aware of the pending crisis in energy, what we called, at that time we were all, many of us thinking about peaking of oil and uh, carbon, um, the descent of the uh, energy descent in the post-carbon world. But that permaculture became a way of of dealing with that design Mm -hmm. system, a worldview, a global movement to help us all, um, you know, descend the energy curve gracefully is the way I I put Mm -hmm. it then. Gotcha. And so then that just kind of got you diving down that rabbit hole. And then I think you said 2007 is when you kind of started um, making the farm happen, right? Yep. Uh, I was looking for a year or two. I did a, I did some uh, sustainable lifestyle symposium with uh, people in mm-hmm. 2003, uh, and uh, I went back to school to McMaster to, to just uh, for the fun of it. Uh, got a, a master's in in religious education. Okay. Um, became a pastoral counselor, and then I decided no, uh, I, I'd like to have a. a I'd like to be on the land. I'd like to be. Uh, growing food for, for our people here in the valley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so then talk to us a little bit about what you were looking for in a farm. Took about a year, and I had already done the course once, so I mm-hmm. I knew some of the features that I wanted: good quality water, high in the watershed, reasonable topography, some elevation if possible. I, I've 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 got enough that I could water all my paddocks here from by gravity, and uh, and good good farm buildings. And the piece that I didn't know at the time, but I'd mentioned now is that I, I didn't investigate really into what's the 
what's the what's the work, uh, agricultural infrastructure mm. the agricultural community this this is um flamborough county here where i am uh, a township it's a township and it's well equipped with with uh, abattoirs farm machinery feed feed houses and mm -hmm. a good smattering of organic farms awesome yeah so you kind of landed in a community that was relatively like-minded was able to support you with the farm you could say yeah. Now you got me, you got some pictures. And so I'm going to go ahead and share those. And so if you're listening to obviously to the podcast, you may need to go to our website, thrivingfarmerspodcast.com and uh, type in um, Ian and it should pop right up, but we'll include a video of the pictures so that you guys can see what we're looking at here um, because there's some really cool stuff that he's doing on his farm that I want to make sure that you guys see. Um, so if I, this is probably when you bought the farm, re renovating the buildings. This is an old uh, bank barn, yes, and uh, I learned of some, some Mennonites who were uh, equipped to set up uh, and come and re repair these old barns. So, so this is a forty-five uh, uh, by by fifty-five foot square barn, and that's looking east into the old hundred-year-old orchard. Yeah, I see those apples on the trees right there. It's, that's those, and those are big trees. Yeah, absolutely. I pruned them down to about half size now over the years. And uh, that is the same barn looking south, the shop and uh, loft apartment on the right and the house on the left. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then this is that basically looking back at the barn. Yeah, that's looking west from the orchard. Gotcha. Absolutely. And then this is that same barn. Same barn. That's the one. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the opposite end of it. All right. So talk to us a little bit about, cause I know you've got some pictures here of like putting a pond in. talk to us about some of the improvements you made on the land. Yeah. Well, I did quite a bit. Uh, I fenced it all. Um, uh, you, I, I did some major earthworks for building terraces and the pond itself was a wet spot when I came the first, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the first summer to look at it. And then I, I said, well, we're going to dig that out and make it into a permanent pond. It's now about a about one acre pond, 20 feet deep. Uh, just provides water. That's what it looked like before we started. Mm -hmm. That was the that was the slough. Yeah, and that was that's what it looks like now. Or yeah, that's what it looks like now. Wow, that is beautiful. Yeah, and that's during the construction. There's a couple of shots there of construction. Yeah, yeah there. <laughs> yeah, it's hard ours. to believe. Yeah, it's ours. Now these trees, did they end up staying out in the water? Did they end up um, dying or? They died. Yeah. Uh, the ones on the on the left of the picture uh, are, are 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 down now. The ones on the right are have, have regrown. Yeah, yeah, it's always interesting like that. So you can see, yeah, look at that. But another improvement that I did was, um, uh, uh, as you can see, there's a bit of contour there. Mm -hmm. uh, this is I, uh, when I came; it was all one field of soybeans, and then of yep. course I had to I had to I had to till it, and then I put a. Uh, you know, a mixed cover crop in for that first winter. And the next year uh, we plowed that down and seeded it as pastures, put 10 paddocks up for rotational grazing for my, uh, my heritage breed of cow and, uh, and planted trees uh, several mm -hmm. years later in tree cribs. Cause I wanted a Savannah landscape back there on that mm -hmm. uh, ground. This would be the high point there where my arrow is. Well, you can't see that, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but the high point of that crest is where I've I've uh, I put um, a water tank in, and from the pond up to the water tank is about about five meters, uh, so 20, 
15, 20 feet. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I pump water up there and I run a, a, I run a two inch lines down, down the edge and a spigot for every paddock. So once a week I can pump water with a little gas engine up to that hilltop and water mm -hmm. everything, including, uh, including the, the front garden, which is about, uh, about uh, uh, half a mile away. Oh, very interesting. All right. So that's the hay there. Um, same area, I think, from a little bit of a different angle. And then these are your um, haystacks. So well, you got those in there. Uh, my screen hasn't shifted yet. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but way back, my guru, gurus to start, my, my gurus in, uh, uh, in books were, were Elliot Coleman, Gene Logston, and... Mm -hmm and uh joel salatin so uh, uh, this little farm is about the same size as gene logston's he's dead now but he was he was uh, he wrote the contrary farmer okay. uh, how to way ahead of his time how to live low impact and, and he didn't even put electricity in his barn he kept a little wee 35 horse uh, massy tractor mm -hmm. and he said make your haystacks in the field why why move the cow the feed into the barn and then have to shovel the manure out so i did yeah. what he well, I did what he told me. And this is what we did. We made these haystacks for the first couple of years. And that haystack there. So that is basically fence wire in a circle. And then you're putting some vents in that. If I'm, I'm seeing that correctly. The way we, yeah, you put a pole on the ground to hold it steady just to, and then you build, and then you, as you said, you get page wire fencing, make, make the hoop as big as you want uh, 10, 15, you know, 15, 20 feet diameter. And I, I put it on on cribs, uh, skids, mm -hmm. so that I'd get air circulation, and I put that irrigation tile up through the, mm -hmm. the center of it. So I would, and it's perforated. So I was trying to get air throughout the center of it. Mm -hmm. And then when you're finished, you cover it with a piece of poly, and and hopefully you build a crown on it so the water doesn't pool in the in the center. There, yeah. There we go. Yeah, I had the pictures backwards. So this is a picture of you starting to make it right here. Yeah. And then the next picture is at half built and then that's finished building. And then you said, you said that's two months later. Um, very cool. And then would you just graze your cows up near it during the winter time? That's right. You put them out in the paddock. They, they they get the, they get access to that. They eat through the grass, uh, the grass, uh, through the, the page wire fencing. Mm -hmm. All right. Very cool. Um, now, another thing I wanted to point, pull through here, I mean, there's a lot of pictures and we'll get to them here because we're on the, Hey, let's talk about your cattle. What hmm. type of, what breed is this? So this is a heritage breed called Lynch lineback. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it's an unimproved uh, pioneer breed that was used for drayage for milk and for beef. They were polled or, or horned, mine are all polled. Mm -hmm. uh, they have that distinctive uh, white stripe and white belly. Uh, hence the name lineback and uh, I, I i didn't have a particular reason for picking them mike i just uh um discovered uh some uh, them by chance at the local organic fair and and uh went and met robert lynch who was the guy who kept this breed going for the last uh, 30 40 years and breeding them thinking that maybe someday they'll be uh, mm -hmm. a curiosity and now it's it's got a herd book and it's the one of two official native breeds to canada okay very cool yeah and they uh a couple is this one of them too because i don't i noticed this doesn't have the white stripe yeah that one's the hereford okay gotcha 
and uh, so then with on your farm, do you typically just use them for, um, do you, are they a dual use breed for you? So you're going after the milk and the meat or how do you, how do you use those? They're a dual use for me. I, I have what's called a cow share arrangement. People own the herd mm -hmm. uh, as a, like a, like a mutual fund, you know, I've yep. mutualized the herd. And so then, then I, uh, they pay me to manage the herd and, and they come and get their milk. Very cool. Okay. Now this is something I wanted to bring up is you have a picture here of your zones, um, concept zones, four, five, uh, three, four, five. Talk to us a little bit about what we're looking at here and maybe you can orient us by like, where's the high point that you showed us earlier. Okay. So if, if you can see my pointer, can you? I can't, but if you describe so, okay. it to me, so yeah. it's so it's at the top middle of the of the of the picture, which is facing with the top of the page is east. Okay. And so the the permaculture idea here is you take your property and you and you divide it into zones. Mm -hmm. Conceptually, they're concentric zones defined as how often you need to go there or it needs you to go there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. your chicken coop needs you twice a day. So that's going to be in zone one. Your orchard yeah. needs you every few you know, not very often. And then every day in the fall. So that might be zone three, your pastures yeah. will be four, four and your, 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 your woodland might be five. So I, so that's what I've got. You get uh, down close to the front on the left-hand side of the screen where the buildings are, you see the, the yep. one there. And that's the, that's my first vegetable garden down there where we were into it every day. And yeah. And then, and then so on. Okay, so the, maybe that's a two. That's a yeah. Zone one is actually the house in the backyard. We always yep. say put put your herb uh, your herb garden right at the back door because uh, where you can go and pick a handful. Uh, otherwise, you won't use it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't do this design. Uh, in fact, at least with the way the different colors are for meant different kinds of of uh, mm -hmm. of uh, perennial crops. They they were meant to sh to be on contour. Uh, to provide uh, forage and silvopasture uh, um, uh, shelter and food for for grazing animals, maybe also growing uh, crops in between them. I, at the time, I thought it was too much, uh, mm -hmm. too much trees. I needed more open space. I kind of regret it now. It, in the bottom half of the screen where those squares, the light green are, that's the orchard. I did put the orchard in mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. and that's doing well. Very cool. And so, yeah, you can see where they had designed two different ponds and uh, the, the one you've put in is which one? Right in the middle of the picture is the, is yep. the, uh, the actual pond, the one on the right. I didn't do that one. Um, each pond cost $10,000. So I wasn't, oh, gonna, yeah. I wasn't going to, but I really regret not doing it like this picture shows very uh, uh, circuitous uh, edge to it. Mm -hmm. In permaculture, we know, Edge effect is very important. You get a lot of biodiversity in edge effect. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I missed the boat there. Gotcha. Okay. So you've done that differently. Now, I think at the beginning of these pictures, you showed some pictures of your first garden. Um, maybe is that this I right moved here? that into the Kilpatrick folder. I think. Oh, there's one on the right yeah. that, that one there. Mm -hmm. All right. Now I'll go back to that Kilpatrick folder and we'll take a look at that. Um, yes, right here. This picture right here is the, the front yard. That's right. Okay. And then is it on contour as well is what it looks like. Right. So this is, this is, this is a permaculture way of doing things. It's not a production garden way of doing things. Every, there are no straight lines and every bed is a different length. 
Yeah. But uh, the benefit of it, I like it for the fact that I have a, I have grass turf um, mm -hmm. uh, medians between each bed that acts as a sponge for holding moisture. Uh, but it, uh, and so I would, and it's clean to walk on, but it obviously is the, the, the source of a lot, a lot of weed contamination. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gotta keep those edges good. Um, and then you have the bigger scale here on the contour. Talk a little bit about this. That's the location of the orchard. Okay. So it, it's a, it's a north sloping, uh, gentle slope to the north. Uh, and the, I'm taking a picture there of the bulldozer carving the, uh, the swale into the hillside. Uh, and I'm going to plant uh, uh, my, or my trees on the upside and the downside of the swale. Swale being uh, basically a flat ditch on contour. The water doesn't, doesn't flow. It just it sits there so it percolates in. And uh, up, uphill a little bit, you see a couple of stakes. And where I cut the grass, that's just to mark him uh, so he knows where to, where to dig. Gotcha. Okay, so talk to us about the reasoning behind putting your orchard on the north slope. Uh, well, trees on orchards that have winters to, uh, and you're trying to get tender fruit like peaches, you, you tend to want to put them on the north slope because the cold air will, will flow downhill to the ground. So any slope will have that effect, but the north slope is going to be cooler. It won't, it won't, it won't warm up with the um, sort of the, the heat sink effect at a south slope yeah. well quite as fast. So you tend to not have as much uh, loss of blossom in the beginning of the year. Yeah, because typically it's the blossoms that you lose because the, it heats up too fast and they, they, they start blossoming too soon and then they get destroyed. So I remember back in New York when we lived there, we were in a, a, a pretty small valley and um, the north side of the valley, well, the north slope, so it was the south side of the valley, he would cut his hay two weeks later than we did on the, on the north slope because it was the yeah. south facing. So it was fascinating to see that. And um, yeah, he would say, yeah, I can set my watch. You know, when you guys cut your hay, I'll go get my, you know, hay buying out of the thing and know I've got about two weeks. So it's absolutely right. Yeah, I put it on the north side right there. Um, and I'm assuming this is a picture of uh, later in that season. Uh, yes. So that's uh, that's the e that's the western aspect. So looking mm -hmm. towards the west, that's my home, the first garden uh, plantings that we put in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Quaint. Very, very, yeah, very quaint. It's very beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. All right, let's move to the hoop houses because I know that's definitely something. Um, and I, this is one picture that we've got here. And the cool thing you can see here is these um, the black pipes coming out of the ground. Um, talk to us a little bit about the system. I'm looking at a picture of the site uh, and um, it's prepped now. It's been leveled and uh, the hoops are laid up ready to, to build the structure. What you're talking about is the an earlier picture that I can't see here. Let's see if I can get uh, back to that one. Here it is. Mm, yep. There we go. Okay, so that was a that was a north slope. slope. We leveled it, uh, and then got a ditch witch and dug trenches because I had I had a a design from the internet from a, from a guy out out west in Oregon mm -hmm. who was who had designed and and it did the engineering on this. Uh, underground uh, subterranean or underground heating and cooling system. So the idea is you need to put these pipes in the ground, uh, a certain number of them, 
to get about five air changes uh, an hour in your in your finished greenhouse. And and so what what is up in the top right hand corner you see is some big uh, uh, culverts there with mm -hmm. uh, already modified with little red uh, um, connectors. So there that's going to sit in the hole where I'm standing, and all those pipes get plugged in just like plug and play. Yeah. And then um, we do the same thing at at both ends. Uh, and when it's all finished and done with, and the greenhouse is erected, there's a fan. Uh, so one end of that scent where I'm standing, the, the, the culvert's going to be in there connected. It's got a stack vertical on one end mm -hmm. and a fan is blowing air underground. So it's taking the hot air in the greenhouse in the summertime and, and leaving it underground. If you go to the next picture, you can see how we dug those in and there's one with it finished, I think. So, away. you know, how it is at the top of a greenhouse, the ridge is always 20, 30 degrees mm -hmm. Celsius. So a hundred and, um, it's too hot for plants, but you can take that heat and leave it underground and you make a heat pillow under your greenhouse. So out there today, we had, uh, last week we had minus 20. That's, that's, uh, under, that's like minus 10 Fahrenheit mm -hmm. and, uh, inside the greenhouse, it, the, the soil was 40 degrees F. Yeah. Which is a massive so, difference. Yeah. Yeah. Because right now with our greenhouse, we have a 7,200 square foot. Uh, it's 36 by 200. And when it's seven degrees out, when that's seven degrees um, Fahrenheit, I'm not quite sure what that is Celsius. Um, it is, uh, it costs $25 a night to heat that greenhouse. Whoa. And, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot because we're heating about 38 degrees for that. What do you want to heat it? Yeah. Okay. You want to heat it to get up to air temperature 38? Yeah. So with this, with your system, we thought about putting in a um, climate battery, which is what this is, but to put it in for that size, there's going to cost us like 25,000. And <laughs> I, yeah. And what yeah, I we... said, yeah, I talked to the guys and we went back and forth, we ran the numbers. And so we said, let's hold off for this year. Greenhouse number one, won't get a climate battery. We'll put a climate battery in number two and number three. So, um, yeah. So I think we will, because now we can actually get the numbers on exactly what it costs us. And then we can look at the payback and that's when you go for financing. If you can show them, you know, a positive payback, they're going to be a lot more likely to be able to fund that. So, yeah, I don't have any numbers to tell you, uh, on, uh, how I, I run the, I, I use a repurposed, uh, furnace fan, a, a mm -hmm. squirrel, squirrel cage fan yep. to, to, to move that much air around it, it, the full system which is the part where you'd be more interested. I haven't implemented yet. Uh, but um, this, the, the engineer had it figured out to use uh, misting sprinklers overhead inside the greenhouse uh -huh. set so that they, they, you got a phase change and yeah. every pound of water absorbs or, or, or releases a, a thousand BTUs of heat. So you have a, you, you now can really cool your greenhouse in the summertime when yep. it's when you otherwise spending money to, to blow air outside. Yeah. So basically a misting system that would work really well for us. Um, I've got to try that and see what kind of difference that that would bring. Um, yeah. So, all right. So I think that was, you sh we showed those two pictures of that. And then I think the only other picture was of the overarching. Okay. So here's the two structures, right? That's right. And is one of them have that system and the other one not? That's right. Okay. So the, 
the one on the left doesn't because I wanted to be able to compare. It's what Coleman would call his cool house. Mm-hmm. And the one on the right I, would be the warm house. All right. And so middle of the winter, when you said that one was 40 degrees, what temperature was the other greenhouse? It'd be freezing. It'd okay. be below 32. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, very cool. Yeah. Let's, uh, that's, that's, that's really awesome that you've got that, that good data now set up. Um, another thing that you have here that I want to talk about and look at was this um, uh, straw bale house in the side of your bank barn. Yeah, that was my, my get get go quick in the first winter. Didn't mm-hmm. have the greenhouses, so I wanted to grow during the winter. Yeah, so I, I that south facing wall I made the end walls with straw, and then just you know joists and a bit of a knee wall, and covered yeah. it all with plastic. Um, the, the the design flaw that I really wasn't you know I call this place the the farm of how not to do things because okay. everything has a story about how we do it better here. The problem is that the barn wall is not insulated on the inside. It's the same temperature as outside. So wow. any heat gain in my little, my little greenhouse uh, is going to, is going to just go right through the, the wall. I should have insulated that barn wall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if that was backed up, let's say a living space that would have actually provided some temperature um, to help the, you know, build the, uh, help the heat that, that structure. Now, is this a picture of that same area? That's the one. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. Got everything in there. Um, that must be really nice to go in on the, win- I've been meaning to put one on the South side of our house. There's one little section I could do it. And yeah. I think I could get away with it before the, the city wouldn't say anything. So greenhouses on side of wall of houses are, 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 are a sweet addition, really comfortable mm-hmm. living space, but the, the humidity needs to be managed. Mm-hmm. This turned me, this is not here anymore. Okay. <laughs> the story of that is that the cows, it, it butted into the corral around the south side of the barn. So the cows were in there all winter and they were, you know, curious mm-hmm. and they finally broke through the plastic and stuck their head. I came in one day and there on the left-hand side, all those veg- right-hand side, all those were eaten down and the cows had their head in the ground, in the, <laughs> inside the greenhouse. Yep. Yep. They were, they were going after it. Very cool. Now. Okay. So this is another picture from the outside of that. Um, and it looks like the tape is where you taped up after the cows got after it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Um, very cool. Um, all right. And then this is uh, your road sign right here, which is cool to kind of see. Um, so it looks like that's a, how busy is that road? No, it's not a busy road at all. Okay. From the business point of view, I don't have a, 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 a drive-in trade at all. Um, mm-hmm. This is a, this is sort of a U loop off of the main road, which runs parallel to the, to the north, which is on the right side. Okay. Uh, but the only thing I get on this road are, are, are cyclists and, and, and a few hikers. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then this picture here is when you planted your orchard, it looks like. Yes. The orchard is just going in there now in, uh, in May of 2009. Okay. Okay. Very cool. I'm just trying to think if there's any other pictures that we need to dive into here. Um, you've got uh, pictures of your produce here. <laughs> um, and you've got right there, those are white uh, sweet potatoes. So Japanese sweet potatoes. They look like peeled potatoes, don't they? With the eyes left on them. But I, they could be Jerusalem artichokes too that have uh, okay. been washed. 
okay. I can't remember anymore. All right. Where are you on your thriving farmer journey? If you go to growingfarmers.com, you can click on our assessment, take our assessments, just a few questions, and what it will do is show you exactly where you are on the five-stage thriving farmer journey. And what this will do then is give you some next steps, some resources that help you know what to focus on next in your business to move you to the next level with your farm. So let's talk a little bit about that side of the business. Um, obviously you've got the cows, you've got the, the vegetables, where are your outlets to sell the products? I do all my sales online through uh, okay. uh, an early, uh, an early version of a, uh, of a online e-commerce designed by Eric Wagner in Georgia. Mm -hmm. You should interview him actually. Um, he's got several thousand people using his software called locally grown. Okay. Uh, first couple of years we tried to market garden. I just decided it's too much time away from the farm when I did, I'm the bottleneck. Okay. And, and so people order online, they come in uh, one day or two and pick up what I just finished picking for them fresh. Cause uh, the mark, the, the the concept is some very few f people know that their vegetables lose for nutrition quickly the longer mm -hmm. they're stored. So if they're that eager to get them from the farmer direct, let's give them to them super fresh. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's an online uh, an online site, and it um, it has it has uh, it has social media capability it has a blog capability but it, but i haven't backed it up with a with a website or like you do this is one of the things i want to consult with you on and yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm ready to, to take my second and last run at this uh, uh small scale permaculture farm deal and i'm going to spend some money and get it upgraded to best of class gotcha and i think you're doing quite a few things best of class uh i want to i want to just tick them off and say okay we're going with that software and that yeah and that grade of remake and that size of hoop and that that uh because um, i don't have time to experiment anymore i'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm older gotcha um all right so then you're selling online with that now the cows you said are a part of a cow share which is really cool that they just come get their milk and do you try to run that year round? So you have milk year round or is it more seasonal? I do it year round. Okay. Very cool. Um, and then uh, you do what the orchard, what, what ended up, is that something that you sell the products from the orchard as well, or? It, it's supposed to be, but it hasn't been a success. I got okay. too much variety in there. Uh, I did it the permaculture way, I, you know, mm -hmm. instead of blocks of all, all the same fruit together, they're easy to manage and pick. <laughs> I've got them yeah. interspersed with nectaries and, and nitrogen fixers and who knows what all. Uh, and I'm trying to do it organic, uh, mm -hmm. no spray. That's very difficult to do. You don't, you can't learn that in a, even five years. I don't think I use Michael Phillips for, for counsel mm -hmm. on that, you know, him probably. Yes. And, absolutely. Um, but it hasn't ever produced anything of a crop. Gotcha. All I've right. got a crop for household use and maybe a few bushels, but yeah. nowhere near what it costs to, to, yeah. to maintain it even on an annual basis mm -hmm. exactly yeah um so let's talk about because you've been doing this for a while now let's talk a little bit about if you were to go back and start over again what would you have changed from the beginning i would have put my two greenhouses closer uh, further apart because the mm -hmm. south one shades the north one i wouldn't have bought used greenhouses i would have got uh the footprint that i wanted these are 20 by hundreds that's mm -hmm. uh, too narrow by at least two feet 
if yeah. not by 12 feet. Um, I would have, uh, uh, as I just said, re put the orchard more in, uh, in, in a business like way. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably would have standardized my, my, my blocks. I'm using, um, I'm using, uh, uh, the standard block system of, uh, of Dan, uh, Brisebois, you know, him, mm -hmm. you've interviewed him mm -hmm. yeah. right now. I'm trying to learn that real fast. Uh, so I would have standardized my blocks. That's an obvious thing. Yeah. But back, uh, so now my, re all my, 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 my drip tape, my remake, my, my, my components can be standardized block by block. I have my blocks uh, all over, all over the place. Uh, mm. So it's very, I, I, what else would I do? I would uh, put them, I would compact them together. Like, like Fortier shows in his, mm -hmm. his first farm, really, really dense. Uh, and, um, and then I probably would have put in uh, uh, my wash and pack area uh, more, spent more money on that. It's been a, just you know, a make-do arrangement uh, at the at the end of a hose now for all these years. I got to fix that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to put in a regular space and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I probably would have put a walk-in cooler in. I, I did a reach. I, I bought a used Coke reach-in cooler, which was big enough. Yeah. But but now at the end of the time, I should have spent the money up front so that storage would would have been much easier. Those are the main yeah. things I, I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are all good things. Um, talk to us a little bit about, um, like, you know, the you know the customer acquisition. How do people find out about you? The cow share they find out of through the realmilk.com site, which mm -hmm. is based which is uh, based down there in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. um, with the Weston A Price people. Uh, but the, but they 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 it's 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 I I did your five day challenge and mm -hmm. I did the survey and I got. 30 responses and most of them said they heard about me uh by referral word, word of mouth uh-huh uh -huh. uh, that uh, not maybe not most maybe a good quarter to a third yeah and then the internet people people you know search local uh organic and up comes old 99 farm and then they find the website and then they browse and then they subscribe and now I have their address and, and now I send them information of what we're, what we're, mm -hmm. what we're doing, experimenting with. And, and so those, those are the main things. Okay. Now that's interesting. You mentioned the five-day challenge and the survey. Talk to me what else you learned from the survey of what, what people said. I was surprised that when I asked them, uh, and I used most of your questions, I added mm -hmm. just a mm -hmm. few, uh, what, what would you like to, if we offered that we don't offer? And they said strawberries. Uh-huh. I did strawberries at the beginning. So like um, that would now be 10 years ago, 15 going on. Uh, it's too much, it's too much work uh, mm. uh, for a small plot. And you're, and my strawberries and my asparagus uh, and my, my raspberries and my rhubarb are, and my currants are all together in one, one plot, one block. And they're, and they're too weedy. They're mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the, the strawberries succumbed to the weeds uh i didn't know enough about about mulching and i don't like to use the plastic uh so um so i uh, i i think we're going to try again we're going to do it better mm -hmm. um i've got a cider orchard plot in a 20 20 tree block and it's got open space in between the trees uh so i can use that i can i can inter mm -hmm. intercrop there for for five ten years five years at least yeah 
Very cool. Yeah. Um, we actually have a, a great training on the strawberries. So I think you could find that that helpful. Um, Good. Uh, right. Um, I'm just trying to think anything else to ask you, because this is fascinating to kind of see how you developed this from the start, you know, as the permaculture side of things and then kind of moved around. Um, what would you say is your favorite part of the farm? <laughs> well, I guess I like the cows. Mm -hmm. I like the cows and the milk part of it. Um, you got to milk them every day, of course, they're, but when they're on mm -hmm. pasture, we go out and we milk on pasture. We've got a mobile uh, milking station that runs off a little gas engine mm. on the back of a 20 horse tractor. Yep. So, uh, so that's beautiful every morning when the sun comes up. Uh, so that, that's my favorite part of the, of the farm. Um, so the next step, what's my worst part, my least favorite part of the farm? <laughs> um, th those parts have gone now. I, gotcha. I, I had sheep. I, uh, they're a pain in lambing time and yeah. they don't make any money for you. They're, they're nice eye candy. I had bees, uh, I, I for my scale, I have somebody else bringing hives on now back then I was going to make a, a little enterprise out of it, but make those, those 70 pound bee boxes are, are really hard on the back. Mm -hmm. And I had geese and ducks and they have really shitty, uh, way of walking around and pooping everywhere mm -hmm. and you, you couldn't walk barefoot you, and, uh, so i had to get rid of them so i've sent it down to, to to laying hens meat hens on pasture they're very pleasant they're, that's not a lot of work it's good economics mm -hmm. for for meat chickens as is as is uh, eggs i'll just like to say this for the listener uh, why they watch this who knows but I, I'm not your typical younger person trying to get and think they want to make a living at farming. I had my business career done on, and I had my savings and I said, I want to, mm -hmm. I want to, I want to get it out of the market and put it into, into a land and a lifestyle. So this is lifestyle farming, not uh, certainly it's not uh, hobby farming. It's mm -hmm. not like collecting stamps. <laughs> You're working yeah. pretty too hard yeah. for that, uh, but it's not a livelihood farm. Uh, I suspect when the shit hits the fan on the climate crisis, we're going to have lots of, of, of people just being happy that they've got shelter and food mm -hmm. and, uh, and, 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 a, and a very important network of friends and relations that they can swap and trade things with. Mm -hmm. So that's where I, I, I want to be a, a, a hub here in, in my valley uh, of people who can, first of all, come and learn those things and, and, and meet friends, uh, figure out what they can do in ur urban retrofits and urban, urban agriculture. Um, but you, I, I, uh, for anybody who's listening, um, the way I did it, you can't make a living. Mm -hmm. But you, you gave yourself, you kind of insulated yourself in case, as you, as you said, you know, things happen, you know, you've got a very insulated place where people are going to want to come in and, and hang out. And my family's grown up and, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, gone uh, in their own careers. Uh, so this is their, this is their home base, their safe Harbor. If, if things get bad, but also mm -hmm. I could say that uh, I don't, if I'm trying to disengage from the cash economy. I, I don't need a wage anymore. The farm carries itself. So it makes that much money. But if you're starting up a farm, let's say you get land some way or other, never mind that hurdle. Uh, but now you're on the land. You got to make a wage for you and your family. You got to put money aside for your kids going to school. Uh, I don't know how you do it on uh, like this with so many different enterprises. Yeah. If it was 20 acres of vegetables, you might, Michael, you might say you could do it. 
Yeah, well, it really comes down to the enterprise and how you stack those enterprises and which ones work and which ones don't and your context. Because um, like looking at your pictures, vegetables aren't a great fit on scale because of the hills. Um, but you know, the, the cows work great. Um, the, the orchard works great. You got plenty of water. Um, you know, aquaculture isn't a huge thing, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, if you were able to stock that with something, um, maybe it's just re-recreational fishing. People want to come out and if it's a one acre pond, 20 feet deep, there's a fair amount of water in there. Um, so anyway, obviously there's all sorts of things you could brainstorm and try to figure out, but yeah, it comes down to, you know, the crops you decide that make fit sense for your, your location. So, well, uh, just, uh, in closing, say, I look forward to this conversation we're going to have next on the, on the meter yeah. <laughs> because I'm, it's still not too late to bail. I'm trying to ramp up with, with, uh, with, uh, Danielle's, uh, uh, yeah. system of of organizing your doing your crop planning mm -hmm. uh and i'm i'm, I'm gonna go out and get a couple of uh of uh of uh restaurant accounts well uh and uh maybe uh, maybe a, a small uh, uh green grocer account mm -hmm. so that i'll i'll try to sell thirty thousand dollars of product here out of four thousand row feet mm -hmm. of of space yeah yeah absolutely well, yeah, looking forward to that. But Ian, great to have you on the podcast and chat about these things and kind of like what you're doing and how you set it up. And um, it's always interesting to get a different perspective on here. And just, I think a lot of people, because, you know, I think there is a lot going on right now. And I think a lot of people are like, okay, I really do want to unplug a little bit or, you know, just be more responsible. You know, yesterday I posted um, a picture online, which it's something that I, I'm seeing myself as you go into a grocery store and there's empty shelves. And, um, you know, that scares people. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a combination of, you know, not being able to get supplies, not being able to get labor to stock the shelves, you know, people being out sick. Um, and so you look at all those, those things stacked together and it really causes some consternation. So, um, yeah, being able to unplug and have that kind of space to go back to um, is super important. And like one of the things you know, I noticed is you had solar, you know, I think, you know, I, I frequently don't really push solar on people because I'm like, well, you know, the real payback on that, unless you can get the government grants is not great, but the security of it is another huge aspect. And obviously if you can have a specific system big enough to do your basic needs and you can unplug from the grid, that is a huge advantage that, you know, definitely I think I think it'd be really advantageous for a lot of us to think about. And again, if you have the opportunity for hydroelectric, even if it's super small scale, that can be incredibly powerful because that can do 24 seven typically and solar is only during the day. But um, yeah, there's all sorts of opportunities out there. And uh, yeah, it's good to see the stuff that you're doing on your farm. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. 
So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com. 